How about this fucking team right here? Dustin Brown, short-handed for LA. Score! Here is Goligoski. He gets leveled at the blue line by Dowdy. Food for it, cheer for uh, Kind of like it. Richard throws it in front. Carter, score! some swagger. Push come to shove, we're going to get it done. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Thanks Bud Podcast. I am Chanel Berlin. And I'm Diane Fan. This is episode 23. This recording, not quite as perfect this week because the Kings did not win all of their games. They won half of them. They played four games since the last time we recorded because we recorded before the Edmonton game. So since last Sunday, they have won two games and they have lost two games, which is not bad. Obviously not as exciting as being able to say that they've won everything, but also not the worst. I will say that 50% is an F grade. Yeah. (laughs) You know, old school term stats right there. Especially after having a few weeks, of course, in January where we couldn't ever say that they won anything, really. They just didn't. They, they skipped class. They didn't show up. Yeah. I will, I will take this. I'm okay with it. Their record now is 38-24-6. Andre Kopitar, of course, still the points leader. He is now up to 56 points and has broken the 20-goal mark. So he's up to 21 goals, 35 assists. So he's still doing great. Last night's game was ridiculous. <laughs> Did you get to watch any of it, Diane? I only watched the highlights. I unfortunately was not able to watch any of it. Um, nor was I able to watch it on Twitter, so I was just like by myself this morning looking at clips being like, oh my gosh, did you see that? And everyone has already, you know, talked <laughs> about it. But was like, yes. <laughs> but yeah, it was horrible, is what it was. The last two games, the Kings have been back to their old selves, I guess you could say, in that they have outshot and outpossessed the uh, opponents, but have come up short, letting the opponents win by one goal. So last night, I think, was particularly frustrating because the Kings, in a way, scored three goals, including one own goal and then one tying goal that was waved off for incidental goalie interference, which sucked. That was bullshit. I, I, that was bullshit. I am 100% on board with everyone else being like, if the puck crosses that goal line, it needs to be revealed, like reviewable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just because one ref is like, hey, incidental contact, um, that, that's not fair. Yeah, I think that is definitely the kind of thing that should be reviewable. Pretty much any goal should be reviewed, reviewable. I couldn't really quite get as angry about it as some people, only because I am, of course, a monster and highly critical of this team, and I am one of those people who's like, you know what? That wouldn't have mattered if they could have scored more goals because they had so many shots. Like, you take over 30 shots and have one goal for it, that's a problem. I don't want to see any more games like that. They've used up all of my patience when it comes to playing that way, so score more goals. But that call was obviously really detrimental to them because then they didn't tie the game and they lose in regulation. Um, And then the game-winning goal for the Ducks was technically scored by Jake Muzzin. Kind of a crappy situation. It was a really irritating game to watch. Well, I'm glad that I missed it. (laughs) You should be. I hated it. I hated it all over. All I did was watch uh, Tyler Toffoli's one goal. Yeah, that I loved. And a a beauty it was. A beautiful thing it was. um, on, On the power play, which... We've ragged on their power play for a very long time, and recently it's been um, getting better, uh, and it showed last night. Um, Stoll kind of just threw a shot at the net, 
rebounded, and Tyler Toffoli was there to to knock it right in, which was fantastic. Um, rebounds in general were a problem for them last night, so I think it is fitting, but it was also really nice at the time, of course, for that tying goal to, again, be on the power play, like you said, but to come off a rebound, which they were having so much trouble with getting any of those. And I was glad to see Tyler Toffoli score in general because I think he's played pretty well in the last few games, so it was nice to see something pay off for him by getting that. Someone who was having a really horrible time last night, even though he, he actually cleaned it up a lot by the third period, even though nothing really came from it for the Kings, was Jake Muzzin. Jake Muzzin had a rough, rough game. The first goal against that opened the scoring between the teams was happened in part because Jake Muzzin, on the entire shift, couldn't seem to get control of anything. He looked a hot mess, and then somehow let Ducks players outwork him against the boards, and then when Kopitar tried to come in and help cover at least one of those guys, Jake Muzzin still was unable to get control, and then eventually there was a goal scored, a goal that should have never happened, and it was rough. And then, of course, a little, this one was more, you know, bad luck, but looked particularly bad because of the game he had had before that. But, you know, a shot from Maroon that goes towards the net and he drops down to try to block it with his body, but it kind of just, you know, rolls along the side of him and pass <laughs> Martin Jones into the net. It was horrible, but also sadly hilarious because of how, like, just how bad that luck was and in perfect view on the cameras and whatnot. Aw, Jake Muzzin. It's rough to be him. Uh, I don't have that much sympathy for him, but, you know, it, it, I thought it was also unfortunate because, of course, this was one of the times where before the game, Daryl Sutter said nice things about Muzzin. He was like, you know, when he's on, he's good, and when he's off, it's noticeable, which wasn't exactly the quote, but the point of it. And But he was like, you know, I think his game is turning around. And then for him to say that his game was, you know, starting to go back up again and to have a night, a rough night like that was just salt in all of the wounds, <laughs> I think. So um, hopefully the next game for Jake Wesson is not that glaringly awful. And I mean, honestly, when do we ever really have any sympathy for Jake Muzzin, ever. When do I have sympathy for anybody, really? That That is, except, that is exceptionally true for you. I will not lie. <laughs> Chanel is the hardest on everyone, and it is amazing to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I told this to the guys from Jewels from the Crown, uh, Nick and Eric, who we hung out with at the Leafs game for a little bit, that basically once a game, I just ask Mike Richards to retire. <laughs> but, you know, I don't shout it. I don't want him to hear me. I just, it's a request that I make. That's, I'm just, I just want everybody to be really good all the time. And it frustrates me when they're not. But whatever. Someone who I do kind of feel bad for, though, a little bit, because he, again, like we I mentioned earlier at the start of this podcast, he's playing really well, is an interesting thing about both of the Kings' last two losses is that they involved Andre Kopitar in some way. It wasn't it's not quite like when he had those two giveaways late, like in back-to-back games or in consecutive games, I should say, early in the season that led to uh, the winning goal against for the Kings. But in both of the games, like in the Toronto, in the game against Toronto, 
he had that really great shot on that that should have been a goal and was robbed by Reimer. And then, of course, the rebound for it led to the two-on-one that eventually ended up being shorthanded goal against that killed the Kings against the Leafs. And then last night, he actually does score a goal that gets waved off for interference. So a rough time for Andre Kopitar as well. That shorthanded goal was rough to watch. It was right in front of our faces. And like just as they were breaking out, you're like, this is going to go in. You know it's going to go in. Oh, I can feel it. Oh. Absolutely. You're just watching it happen, and I was like, okay, well, then that's it, and we all know. <laughs> yeah, and then it was sad. Although, I, w- I want to go back to Mike Richards really quick and share, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but share an anecdote that you told me that you were at a game, and someone just very feelingly yelled out, um, what was it? You can do so much better. Yeah, oh, Mike Richards, you're better than this. Or oh, you're like, better than you're this. Better than this. <laughs> yeah. Is uh, exactly that. Whereas someone else has optimism and is like, you're better than this. You can do it. Um, you're just like, just leave. <laughs> just retire. retire. Get out of here. <laughs> take take all of your uh, your championship rings and medals and cups because you are winningest as fuck and just get out of here. <laughs> just go back to Kenora in your like house on the lake and fish for the rest of your life. You clearly seem ready for it. <laughs> Learn some new emojis, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Take that time. Step your scroll emoji scroll through the uh, the keyboard a bit. Mike Richards lacking in always on the ice and in emojis. Uh, no, yeah, I'm a monster to people. Um, obviously not to their faces though, because I'm not that I'm not an asshole, but I can be a monster privately around my friends. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think we might have mentioned that on the podcast, but it happened in the game against Edmonton where they shut them out. So at least in that game, it didn't really matter. Another thing to note, actually, is that now after these two losses, the Kings, their home and away records are exactly the same, 19, 12, and 3. So if the playoffs started today, the fun thing, I guess, is that theoretically a home or road advantage would not necessarily matter, which at least is heartening, calling back to last season where their road record was abysmal and... You know, everybody was worried about them making it to other rounds, but they managed to a few times. And I think at least now it's like, well, they're starting to even out how they play a little bit more. I still obviously wish it could be better, but it's not bad. Could be fine with where, however they start. It looks like they're going to start on the road, and maybe that's not tragic. Yeah, I mean, after their phenomenal road record in the 2012 season and their uh, phenomenal, not phenomenal, but like pretty good home record in the... Uh, 2013 season, I guess they're kind of mixing it up and being just average on all, <laughs> which is good, which which is good, you know, it's better than being super great at one and not getting that to be your advantage and then just being terrible at the other thing. True. Um, Very true. Although for me, this is awful because I don't know what to expect. So um, even more heart attacks during games. Right. Yeah. It's hard to be like, well, if this happens, then it'll be fine. Everybody has been starting to say that, you know, the Ducks, they've regressed a little bit in some of their past games. Obviously, last night, they got super lucky all around. In general, people are starting to say, you know, whoever gets the Ducks in the first round should have an advantage because their underlying numbers are not very good. They're not a great possession team. They don't have actually, I mean, it looks a little deeper, but for the most part, their top two lines are scoring, as evidenced by last night. Like, if you neutralize Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff, then it's unlikely that other people are going to score, particularly at five on five, unless, of course, you're a team like the Kings and hand them some fluke goals or whatever. 
That's the problem is for the Kings that they have lost the majority of the games against the Ducks in this regular season. So yeah, maybe the Ducks will be a cool first round opponent, but also it won't be as cool if the Kings continue to outplay them, but lose all the time. The interesting thing though is like, based on the regular season record, the Kings should want the San Jose Sharks, who they have beaten for the most part. They're 3-0-1 against the Sharks this season. So uh, I thought that was kind of fascinating that like, what is in a lot of ways the easier team is actually not the team that they've won against the most so far <laughs> this regular season. Because that's the Kings way. Always. But it's only recently now that they've started winning against the Flames. Mm. <laughs> right, yeah. They you know, finally so. managed to even the series, so, you know. <laughs> so, it, this sounds about right for, for the Kings. Fun thing to now backtrack a little bit in the week and go back to at least game again, the return of goaltender Jonathan Bernier. I actually kept forgetting that he was coming back because I was so excited about Phil Castle because I'm a mess. But Jonathan Bernier did return. I didn't think about him returning at all. <laughs> so two of us not really looking forward to it that much, apparently. But it happened. And um, once I was sitting there, I did think a little bit of a king-on-king king goalie battle. And in the one period that Bernier ended up playing... Jonathan Quick came out on top because Bernier allowed two goals and Jonathan Quick allowed one. So there's that little nugget of something. And there was another goalie battle at the beginning of the week with uh, Ben Scrivens. Oh, that's true, right. Where the Kings also came on top. So So good job, Jonathan Quick, in showing them who the starter is and those backups can't hang. Okay, not really. But actually that Edmonton (laughs) game, I forgot, was it was so weird and funny because of the way that the Kings scored, like Jeff Carter's two goals that he didn't really shoot on. (laughs) No, that's it's it continues to be my favorite thing. He is one hell of a goal scorer if he doesn't even shoot the puck on net, but still manages to score goals. He's got his stick. He's got his stick in the like he's in the right place in front of the net. He's got his stick in the right place. His skate in the right place. His butt in the right place, Um, and just scoring goals off everything. That's the Jeff Carter way. So, which was like unfortunate. That was some like weird luck that worked out in the Kings' favor for a change, and was nice, but also hilarious. Even though I didn't watch most of that game in real time because I had to go somewhere, but I I liked watching the clips later. Speaking of Jeff Carter, if I may, for a moment, sure. um, I've been very appreciative of how physical he's been or just like I don't know if um getting a hat trick at the Olympics and winning gold kind of incensed him in some sort of weird way being like I'm a winner on the country level let's be a winner on the NHL team level because during the Edmonton Oilers game he got he got a 10 minute like misconduct which I don't really ever expect for um for throwing Philip Larson into a wall, which I, that sounds terrible, but it, it was kind of funny. <laughs> no, it was um, obvi- obviously, obviously, I'm saying this as a Kings fan, and I'm sure. Actually, I'm sure if someone had done that to like Mike Richards, I would still laugh. Um, <laughs> but um, him doing that, and then yesterday's game, him just like blowing it up with Beauchemin. Yeah. And yeah. just like stick battling through like through the entire neutral zone, not really caring what's happening in front of him. I had two thoughts about the thing with Bochman yesterday, which was the first one was, oh man, I would be pretty into it if Jeff Carter got into a fight because it doesn't happen very often. But according to a Mike Richards interview with Cabby Richards, apparently Jeff Carter has a really good uppercut. So I want to see it. But then my second thought was watching it was like, 
he's really lucky that Boshaman didn't go full Duncan Keith and whack him in the mouth again. Because that is exactly how the thing with Keith started. And then Carter sort of, you know, uh, when, he, when Keith dropped his glove, pushed it away. And Duncan Keith, as we all remember, just like molly him across the mouth with the stick. So, um, <laughs> so good job not losing any more teeth, aggravating somebody, Jeff Carter. But also it would have been cool to see him fight. I we always are rooting for a Gordie Howe hat trick with Steph Carter. Yeah. Always. Every single time he gets a goal and exists and an assist, we're just like, All right now, drop the gloves. Get yeah, a fight. Somebody fight him, please. Somebody if, fight him. If the Kings do face the Ducks in the first round, there will just based on last night, obviously it's gonna be super physical. Some people are gonna fight. I hope that is when Jeff Carter will get his Gordie Howe. That would be amazing. I would be so pleased with that. But yeah, it's nice to see it. And he also, like, checked Boshman. We know that he can uh, level a good check every once in a while. Um, I always forget how big he is. I mean, he's 6'4", um, and he definitely uses, like, he, he usually uses his body more, like, finessely, you know, using his, his reach to get um, a stick on a puck or whatever, but... Um, it, it was fun seeing him just be a little bit more physical, especially since uh, Dustin Brown was out. Yeah, with that's true. mysterious illnesses, or, or like the flu or whatever. Yeah, it is weird because I don't think they ever actually said it was the flu. It was just like, he's having health conditions. I, I just assumed because uh, the Leafs said that Dion Phaneuf was out with the flu. So I assume just like a plague has rained down in the Staples Center and everyone is just ill. Jonathan Quick was also out with some kind of illness, and so I liked to think that as Dion Phaneuf was, like, in close on him and scored that Burt's goal against in the Leafs game, that maybe Jonathan Quick just sneezed on him really quickly, and then he was sick. Uh, Which also, I mean, that's fine, because it infuriated me that anyone would let Dion Phaneuf just, like, hang out alone in front of the net. Of all people, and it looks like... I haven't watched a replay of that particular goal, but sitting there and watching it happen, it looked like the slowest, most casual goal scored. (laughs) Like, he had the time to just slow down, regroup a little bit, and lift it up. And I was like, really? That's just what's going to happen here? Okay. All right. Oh, the other thing, though, which was fun, is that what kicked off the scoring in that game was actually Marion Gabrick getting his first goal. And that was exciting to see. That was awesome. It was a fast play. He caught the rebound off of Drew Doughty's shot, and the stable center erupted, and for yeah. good reason. And especially when uh, Dave Joseph announced over the PA that, you know, I, I forget, like, his 17th gold season or whatever, but first as an LA King, everyone just let out a huge cheer, and it was awesome. It was great for it to happen at all, and it was great for it to happen at the Staples Center, so he could be surrounded by plenty of new fans. And um, that wasn't all he did, because then he had an assist on Kopitar's power play goal a little later in that period, which was also awesome. So a two-point night for Marion Gabrick. Obviously, they didn't do him a complete solid and get the win, but it was a nice effort. And another commentary on the fact that, you know, essentially the Kings traded Jonathan Bernier, like when it was all said and done, they traded Jonathan Bernier from Marion Gabrick, and Marion Gabrick scores his first goal against Jonathan Bernier. Jonathan Bernier. I thought that was a nice, a nice touch. It all, it all comes full circle. Meanwhile, yeah. Dean Lombardi is like patting himself on the back. And it wasn't like a really like pretty goal either. It was pretty dirty. It was in tight, but it was, it was awesome. So good job, Marion Gabrick. Score a lot more, please. Oh God, please. Having that second point of his coming on the assist, 
I think. And like as we mentioned, like the one goal that the Kings scored against the Ducks was a power play goal. Their power play has been so much more effective since coming back from the Olympics. It's been like the first couple times I was like, oh, that's interesting. And now I'm just surprised all the time (laughs) that it continues to work. Me too. At first, I don't know. It was just like, oh, well, that's a fun thing that happened. We got a power play goal. Uh, what a delight. What a joy. And then it kept happening. And then I was like, okay, but seriously, what's going on? It's actually being effective. And it's not always just kind of like crashing the net type of goals. It's sometimes pretty nice passing plays. Yeah. And uh, I've been pretty, imp- I've been impressed by it. I have been enjoying it. The LA Kings PR Twitter sent out a tweet last night after the game that was saying, the Kings have now gone seven for 28 on the power play the last nine games, which is good for 25%. That's awesome. I have no idea if they'll be able to keep it up, but I'm excited to like ride this out while it lasts. I might have forgotten a tweet about it because I just kind of wrote it because I was bored and thinking of it. But I wrote a post, which I will, I guess, put in the uh, post for this podcast so everybody can read it if they want, talking about how the Kings have generally been, even before now, when their power play was awful to watch, it actually turns out that it hasn't mattered for the most part. Like, you can point to individual games where taking too many penalties and allowing too many power play goals is you know, bit them a little bit. But in general, they've been really good at sort of neutralizing the effects of how many penalties they take because of the fact that they actually draw so many power play opportunities each game. And I think that's maybe why it's also surprising now is because we're used to not seeing those chances pay off. But now that they are, it's like, oh, this is kind of an advantage that they have. Um, According to sportingcharts.com, the Kings have three and a half, three or four power plays per game, 3.5, and they are on the kill 3.7 times. So they still, the penalties are a little worse, but for the most part, players are drawing penalties enough to ba- at least give them the opportunity to balance that out. And the the best person who, the best person drawing penalties, or the, who is the best at it, I should say, is Trevor Lewis. He, at least the other day when I was looking at it, it was like a plus 17 or something, which was amazing because he also doesn't get called for penalties very much. Dustin Brown is second best at it, but he takes more penalties. So I thought that was pretty interesting to look at for them. Um, Also note that Trevor Lewis scored two goals. Oh, yeah. This week. (laughs) Um, None of those goals were in front of my face live. (laughs) No. Which... Never live. I'm furious about, but I'm very pleased, like, beyond being um, an asset in drawing penalties, uh, scored some goals for the Kings. The Kings, yeah, they're, I'm, I think I'm glad, especially glad to see that their power play is working now after realizing just how much they're on the power play. In terms of actual time, they have, they lead the league in actual power play time, something like 415 minutes. Wow. Um, which was frustrating before when you think about how long that is to not score any power play goals. But now that it's kind of picking up, it's, it's getting to be... Um, definitely an advantage instead of us saying, never mind, we don't want the power play. <laughs> yeah, let's just somebody take another penalty so it's four on four, or like just forfeit it. We don't have to say that right now. It's been pretty rewarding to watch. One person who has been kind of a star on the power play is Alec Martinez. He has six points in the last seven games, including three goals, and overall four of his last seven points were power play points. He's been amazing on the power play recently. What is up with Alec Martinez? I mean, I think we all knew that Alec Martinez was great. Um, He just never really got a consistent chance to show 
everyone because Daryl Sutter was insistent on benching him for yeah. stifling his ice time. And, I mean, there is a reason that all of us know the hashtag free Alec Martinez. <laughs> so true. And now that he obviously got a chance to play and then just proved himself day in and day out, I mean, he just he just can't be stopped. It's been he awesome to see. Like the, like the Miley Cyrus song, he can't be tamed. <laughs> Alec Martinez can't be tamed. Nope. That's so great. Now that song is going to be stuck in my head and I'm going to think about him the whole time. <laughs> yeah, he's... It's been really exciting to watch him and to see him produce so much for the team recently. I hope he keeps it up, and I hope he continues to get time because he's working really hard and has been paying off for the most part. I don't. I still don't think anybody's ever actually looked up the Kings' record when Martinez is in, but it does always sort of feel like when he comes back and he's playing really well, like they just win most of the time. I think the Royal Half and Kingsmen talked about it a little bit on their podcast. Oh, okay. Um, about what, like, the actual number, but I've completely forgotten it. But it's an advantage. We liked Alec Martinez in the lineup, so keep him in forever. The Alec Martinez advantage. I'm okay with it. <laughs> Somebody who is not producing so well for the Kings, in contrast, lately especially, is Jordan Nolan. <laughs> Jordan Nolan needs to get himself together. Truer words have never been spoken. Jordan Nolan is not great. As of late, he, as I think we all remember on a week ago now, um, on Sunday against the Oilers, sucker punched uh, Jesse Joensu, uh while Joensu was like tied up by the refs, and so just straight punched him in the face. Yeah. And he got a ring from the player safety and was suspended for one single game, which I was actually very surprised about because uh, last last year, I think it was in December, um, Sean Thornton just straight punched Brooks Orpic like, on right. the ice with no warning and got something like 15 games. I think Nolan was honestly saved by the fact that Jonesu didn't lose consciousness. Like, Orpik oh, yeah. Did. Uh, yeah, otherwise, absolutely. it could have been a lot worse because he did just completely sucker punch him. There is really no way to justify that hit. I saw some people try to say, like, oh, maybe he was caught off guard because at one point, like, Joe and Sue had accidentally, like, grabbed his junk or whatever. That's not an excuse for it. No, it's not. And also, Nolan, when he was asked about it later, didn't say that that was the case at all. He said he was just still heated because of all of the Oilers players just being all up on Jonathan Quick and in his space and how that had been happening with them throughout the game. And I think he just got angry and lost his cool. And uh, he had to serve a game for it, which I think was positive because he has been terrible in possession. Like the fourth line in general has been struggling recently, but him pretty notably. And then like, I don't think anybody missed him in the Calgary game that he was out for, and honestly... Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, and then honestly, Tanner Pearson got to play, and him and Toffoli were awesome together in that game. So, be out more, <laughs> Jordan Nolan, right now, because Tanner Pearson has been doing a great job. Yeah, that's... Uh, I'm, I fully support having Tanner Pearson in the lineup more often. Pearson and Toffoli played together again in that Ducks game, and they were still great, and... Pearson didn't get a point, but like him and Toffoli were part of the power play and the penalty kill, and Toffoli got that goal. It I like I like that they both seem to be 
finding their element, I think, in the NHL. Like, Pearson seemed a little overwhelmed, but he seems to be settling into the NHL game more after doing really well in the AHL for so long. I want to see them get more time. And if that comes at the expense of someone like Jordan Nolan, fine, because even though Jordan Nolan, I think at the beginning, or earlier, I should say, in the Kings season, was really pretty good at decision-making about, like, when to not retaliate against somebody and draw a penalty for the Kings, that's been less good lately and also he's not producing very much in points so more Pearson less Nolan um the Kings will lose out on his terrific flow (laughs) that's great hair he (laughs) has mastered a hair flip like no one I've seen um including myself and I have a ton of hair so um it's very impressive he can't score but hair flip game on point for Jordan Nolan (laughs) but in the grand scheme of things that's bull so we don't need that (laughs) He can flip and his hair from the bench. <laughs> or the press box. Or the it's press fine. box, yeah, is what we're talking about. He can flip it from the press box and uh, let let Pearson play some more. Uh, so that's, I think that's, I don't know, for the most part what I was thinking about from this week. Cool thing, hap- not related to anything happening on the ice, Bob Miller has re-signed for another year with the Kings. For the last several seasons, I think he's only been doing, you know, one year contracts or one of your extensions and so he's got he's taken another one and so he will be around at least through the 2014-2015 season so yay and um hooray for jim fox too um, oh yeah you know speaking of speaking of uh bob miller his broadcasting partner jim fox was celebrated on thursday for uh for legends night and it was extremely charming um he did not cry which no. is horrible by jim fox Um, I teared up because I'm terrible, and um, he wasn't holding a glass of wine and was holding a microphone, so that was unfortunate, but it was a lovely ceremony. Um, His entire family was there. It was, it was great. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's great on the broadcasts for the most part. The only, strangely, I think the only time I really ever have, not even a problem, but I'm like a little iffy, iffier on... Jim Fox is when the Kings do, like, hit somebody or take a penalty that's pretty egregious. I think sometimes they're a little too nice to them, actually. But um, overall, when it comes to the actual gameplay, I think he's got great eyes and he does a good job of pointing out details in the game. And I like listening to him in the broadcast. So Yeah, absolutely. Like, sometimes he is a little too nice, but then other times he will see the replay and he's like, nope, yeah, that was uh, definitely a penalty for the Kings, you know? <laughs> that was definitely a stupid move. But um, I was also impressed by the fact when they were doing the ceremony and they announced, I mean, I guess I didn't know this, um, but I know you don't really put it all together and think about it, but everything that he's done for the Kings in terms of community relations and being the one to start Kings Care and like reaching out, it's just, it was, it was great to see him honored. Um, He's a cool guy. So that was very, very neat. So it was good to be there for that. Now I have a Jim Fox bobblehead. I'm not going to lie. I taped um, a wine, I printed out a picture of a wine glass. And I taped, I taped it to his hand. Very, very nicely done. <laughs> so his head bobbles like he's drunk. <laughs> oh, I also appreciated him doing the head bobble. Oh, yeah, um, the real-life head bobble. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for that, Jim Fox. That was fantastic. Okay, uh, I think now, because I, we've talked about it a little bit, just looking ahead to the playoffs... Do you feel, how are you feeling now, I guess, after, now that the streak is over and they've lost a couple games, based on the way they've played in those games and the way they, they've played during the streak, how are you feeling about the Kings' playoff chances now? Any changes? Um, I feel great. 
I feel a lot better than I did before. Um, yes, the streak was is over, but honestly, how long was the streak really going to last? I mean, all of us wanted to stay forever, or at least to break the the record that they had, um, or like that the club has. But even in the games that they've lost, they were sloppy at points, especially in that Leafs game, since that's the only one that I that I've watched in, in which they've lost. But they aren't playing terribly. No. Not at all. I guess is is what is what I'm saying. There have been some bad bounces. Yes, they're still struggling to score goals, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't seem as dire. Like it's not like I thought that they were going to miss the playoffs um, before the break or anything like that. But I, you just feel a little bit more calm about everything kind of falling in line and everyone looking a little bit more cohesive, uh, especially with Gabrick on the ice. Kind of everyone slotting into place and knowing knowing their place in the team on their line what they're supposed to do and uh it just looks you know it takes time every game is different bad luck is going to happen whatever but as a whole i think they look pretty great yeah in the losses they still dominated in possession i think really and it's not like it's not obvious the thing that could potentially trip the kings up is if they continued or like once again fall into a situation where they just can't score enough goals to finish and win games that actually last season ended up not being quite as big a problem as people thought because they ended up winning those two series and it caught up with them against Chicago who are a very strong offensive team and can score plenty of goals Overall, we've seen them push through goal-scoring droughts and figure out a way to win playoff games and playoff series, and hopefully that doesn't happen to them again this postseason. And if it doesn't, I think they have a great chance because they're such a strong possession team, and even in the losses, they've, like you said, had breakdown moments the teams have capitalized on, but overall are playing really well and playing their game the way they want to. I actually read an interesting piece by Dave Lozo, who wrote this thing for Bleacher Report, uh, Why the LA Kings are the team nobody should want to face. And it talked about how the Kings look a lot like the 2010 Detroit Red Wings. One particular section, I'll read it to you, was especially interesting to me. It reads, the 2010 Detroit Red Wings have a lot in common with the 2014 Kings. In the two previous seasons, the Red Wings reached the Stanley Cup final, so a three-week break was just what the doctor ordered. He's talking about the Olympic break that happened in 2010. Um, He also says, this season's Kings club sent six players to Sochi, although four made it to medal games. The Kings went to the Stanley Cup final in 2012 and the conference finals in 2013, making them the most overworked team the previous two seasons, something the Red Wings could boast in 2010, which I hadn't really thought about in those terms, is that the Kings were tired. Like, you know, as he says, they played more than any other team the past two years. So the Olympic break gave most of the team a chance to recharge a little bit, refocus a little bit, and things are clicking more now. And hopefully that, you know, unless all of a sudden they explode and things are just terrible heading into the postseason, they look like they have a great chance to make another really deep run. Another thing that I read, also on Bleacher Report, but this time by Rob Volman, who does a lot of uh, stats work and looks at stats in hockey, was he did a countdown of the teams most likely to heat up in this final run of 
2013-2014 in the regular season. And he put the Kings at number one. Uh, one of the points that he made about why that will happen is, quote, possession is really one of the key points here. This is a team that plays so frequently in the opposing zone that not a single player starts more of their shifts in the defensive zone than the offensive zone. There is also not a single player with whom they allow more attempted shots than they take, which is a great point because that means it includes people like Robin Regeer. It includes people like Jake Muzzin, who we know is a great uh, Corsi. He looks great in Corsi anyway overall this season. But so even when they have these mistakes, most of these guys, even at their like worst moments, are generally still way more effective on the ice than most players in the league, which I thought was um, interesting to just sort of be reminded of. Yeah, sometimes you get you get caught up in like, one bad play or a loss or something like that. But the overall scope of it and the underlying numbers obviously show that the Kings are fine. You know, like it's, it's going to be okay. There's, they're never going to have like a, no one is going to have like a perfect run season. So, but yeah, it's, it's heartening to see that even through the worst games or the worst of times that the Kings are still dominating in possession in their, offensive zone starts and you know all of it i honestly think the only thing that can trip up the kings in the postseason is the kings you know if they have just ugly collapses at times or whatever then they won't win games and maybe they won't win a series and they'll exit earlier than they probably should but their foundation is so strong and exactly where it needs to be that i think if they just play like winners they have a great shot at being really awesome in the postseason this year. We have all this optimism for them. It's strange. <laughs> I, I try to be balanced. Like, to listen to me talk on a game-by-game basis about the Kings, it, you would think they never won anything <laughs> at all this season. They have gone zero for however many games it's been, 60-whatever. And you would think that but, you were, like, a Ducks fan or something. <laughs> right, yeah, that I just hated Los Angeles. But actually, uh, when I when I try to broaden the scope, I I do try to acknowledge that they do a good job most of the time. Oh, the other thing uh, about that Volman quote, which is interesting, and that I mentioned to you earlier in the week, is that I feel like it's a great sort of booster or a great like nugget, a supporting nuggets for the argument for Andre Kopitar as Selkie candidate. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we had like a whole long conversation about how Andre Kopitar is amazing, is a great two-way forward, and people need to step up and recognize. I, w- I want Kopitar to win the Selkie this year. I don't know if he will. You know, he was like a distant fourth last in last year's or last season's voting. But I think I think he's the best defensive forward in the league right now. I absolutely do. Close to him, obviously, is Patrice Bergeron, and the Boston Bruins are going to be just as difficult for any team in the playoffs this season. But I think it should be Kopitar's year, personally. Because if you have a team like that, I think particularly when you have a team like the Kings where most people or where everybody is starting in the offensive zone more than the defensive zone just by the nature of the team, if you have a player like Kopitar who then takes a majority of defensive starts, clearly you're going out of your way to put this guy in those tough situations because you trust him and because he's good at it and he has great numbers. It should be Kopitar's year. Um, every year should be Kopitar's year, but absolutely, uh, the person, I, it's so clear that they trust him in the defensive zone, and that should be awarded. <laughs> Give Kopitar an award. He's so great. I mean, but I don't know. 
I don't think that it's going to be his year this year. I think it's going to take a little bit more time to, uh, of the Kings being excellent for people kind of paying more attention to the Kings uh, before he really gets a, a true shot at it. It'll be unfortunate, though, because he's playing so well. He has the Selkie of our hearts. You you have the Selkie if, if I got to vote. And that's really all that matters, right? No, it's not. No, it's, you should get the actual Selkie. <laughs> it's, it's not all that matters. Also, I really hate... This is just like a random thing. I hate that it's called the Selkie just because it shares <laughs> yeah. a name with a weird mythological Scottish creature. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, and that, That's what I always think about, too. That freaks me out because, like... Selkies shed their skins in order to become humans. They shed their skins. This is like a common thing. Oh, yeah, of course, Selkies. And so to be like, hey, you are a great person. Do you shed your skin in order to, like, be great? Like, I don't know. I'm just, like, horrified that it's called um, the Selkie. Even though I know it's, like, for, like, it's a name and it's not spelled the same, but still. Selkie. No, yeah, just like. When I read it or, or say it or, or even just think of the word, I too think of the. It's kind of unfortunate, but uh, but it's actually a great thing for hockey fans. <laughs> so so how about that? Fine. Big hit and down. I'm not sure he's okay. Uh, there's no question that this one's a penalty. A large five minute major penalty power play for the Kings. All right, five-minute majors, and the first thing that we want to talk about is Vancouver actual trash heap. I love talking about how terrible Vancouver is. It's great. Um, After their collapse against the Stars last week, we thought, oh, that was horrible. They lost 6-1. We thought this was the end, but oh no. It was not even the beginning of the end. Um, Yeah. They played the Islanders, and going into the third period, it looked like all was... Everything was coming up roses because they led the game 3-0. But if you checked in at the end of the game, they lost that game (laughs) 7-4. They allowed seven goals. And by they, I mean Eddie Lack because he was not pulled. Eddie Lack gave up seven goals to the, okay, to the New York Islanders. Of all people. The Islanders without John Tavares. Yes. Who is not playing for the rest of the season. So, wow. Apparently, after the game, the hashtag rock bottom was trending in Vancouver, which is really just the icing on how awful that night turned out to be for them. But how hilarious it was for me paying attention to it on Twitter. Oh, oh yeah, it was phenomenal. I loved reading everyone's reactions to being like, uh, I 100% forgot who it was, but someone posted an article about like, oh, what people were doing during the third period during this game. And it's like, wait, what? It's just, like, various instances on Twitter of being like, hey, I left to go to the gym and the Canucks were up 3-0. What do you mean they're down 7-4? Yeah. <laughs> and it was oh, uh, it was fantastic. And, you know, people being like, I just went to go feed the cat and I came back and... <laughs> and it was a mess. Sorry, Vancouver. But, I mean, at this point... Um, and it's, it's kind of funny because that it's the Canucks versus the Islanders considering both of the franchises are kind of... Um, at war with their fans right now um, because obviously something is going on with the Canucks. I think we talked about it last week. Um, things People are getting a little bit old. This, this group of Canucks doesn't seem to be the one that's going to work to win them the cup. Lots of talk about perhaps Tortorella losing the room, but I'm pretty sure. I think I'll stay, but I think Mike Gillis will go. And then uh, on the Islanders' side, because of the whole... Vanek debacle and just 
was kind of another cherry on top of the Sunday for for Islanders fans and they're like staging walkouts, they're staging protests, there's chants happening to uh, get rid of Garth Snow and uh, the owner, Wang. So I guess technically, even though the game itself turned out really well for the Islanders, it, it is really fascinating that those were the two teams pit against each other because right now they're just kind of both a cesspool yes. <laughs> when it comes to the franchise as a whole. They're having some struggles. Whatever poop factory, tire fire analogy you want to make is 100% accurate to these two teams as of right now. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, that so that was a crazy, funny thing that happened. Um, a much sadder thing that happened that I want to just bring up a little bit, actually for what I think is a fairly positive reason, is there have been two very shocking, sad things to happen this week in hockey. Um, in the NHL, specifically, on Monday night, during the Columbus Blue Jackets-Dallas Stars game, Rich Peverly collapsed on the bench. It came out as things developed that, or people were reminded of the fact that in September he had an operation to try to correct an irregular heartbeat, and he had been out for a game just before that Blue Jackets game because he was having some trouble because of medication changes or something with his heart, and so he had another incident in that game, collapsed, was taken to the emergency room, um, is fine now, but will be out for the rest of the season to have a procedure that should correct the problem completely. A lot of stuff happened on social media and in the media in general afterwards, including, like, another debate about, like, basketball and hockey and, you know, race and whatnot, and people talking about the idea of, because there was a quote, whether or not it was a joke, I don't know, about Peverly, you know, saying when he, when he woke up, asking if he could get back in the game. So a lot happened. But what I thought was actually the most interesting thing about all of that was that Rookie Alex Chason, like, took time. He didn't play for a game because he was shaken up. And I thought it was really actually great that the Dallas Stars organization was forthcoming about that reason and that Chason was strong enough and honest enough with himself to be like, look, actually, this has really messed me up. I'm going to need a minute to make sure that my mental health is okay. I thought that was awesome, especially coming at the same time, you know, there was that news about Terry Trafford, who was the OHL player on the Saginaw Spirit, who went missing, and he was found in his car. Uh, he's dead now. Some of the pieces that have been released, including one on uh, Yahoo Sports, was there were some quotes indicating that maybe people thought that there was not enough support for players and their mental health. He had been suspended from his team, and his girlfriend said that he was devastated by it, and... I thought it was an interesting contrast about like just mental health in professional sports, obviously specifically professional hockey, that mental health issues do really affect these players. Like it's good that that Dallas game was canceled because it would probably be impossible to have a situation like that really scary with Peverly and then ask those players to finish a game or something like that. So I thought it was really well handled by the NHL, take letting their players who needed it take some time to I absolutely agree, because there is, I mean, the whole comparing hockey players to other sports is complete bullcrap, because it's it's just dumb. Like, why? Yeah. Um, everyone's just offended because the NHL isn't as popular as any other sports. Like, it that's just the way it is. Everyone can just deal with it. And um, there's always going to be a difference between being tough and being an idiot. You know? <laughs> For sure. Like, so, there's there are certain times when someone's like, oh, he played on such and such and, you know, still trucked on. I'm like, well, guess what? That's stupid. He probably fucked up his ankle forever. You know, so, I 
uh, agree in that it was both fantastic for the Dallas Stars and for Chase on in in general just to be like I am having I think I saw a report saying that he was having a panic attack and mm. so he didn't fly with the team you know onwards that day and I'm very impressed that he would be willing to admit that because that is braver than being like yeah okay let's work through it and then just being messed up forever about it and uh, and also for the stars being like, you know what, you're right, that is a big deal. Like, this isn't a time that they're going to be like, hey, buck up, soldier, you know, like, get back in it. Um, they understood what was going on. And uh, during the whole press conference after Peverly's collapse, Lindy Ruff was talking about how none of the players wanted to play that game. And he didn't want to coach that game, so which is why it got... Postponed. Like, I know there was a lot of people being like, oh, well, you know, people have got their throats cut on the ice and people have got, like, checked into the boards and been carried off stretchers and they continued that game. But it's one thing to be playing, to, like, get an injury based on the sport that you are currently participating in. Like, everyone expects there to be potentially an injury off of, you know, a check against the boards. You know, you're skating on little knives. So, of course, there's a possibility that there's going to be like a cut or a slash here, and it's unfortunate, yes, but it's kind of part and parcel with the sport that they play. In this sense, it was just something completely out of their control, something that they're not paying attention to. Um, someone collapsing for, like, a medical reason on the bench is, you know, that that messes you up. Like, it takes you out from, from the game. And kudos to everyone for being so on top of it in terms of you know, taking him off the ice, uh, I guess, just all of it, how they handled it. I really liked it. Uh, I thought everybody made the right decisions with that situation. And so I thought I would bring it up to commend them because I it feels just kind of rare, I think, in professional sports in general. Um, and it actually made me, just to briefly mention another sport, sorry, um, I'm going to talk about football for a second because it made me think of an ESPN article I read after the Seahawks won a Super Bowl that was about how one of the biggest changes in that organization was taking a more active approach on making sure players were not just treated and supported you know, physically when it comes to injuries and making sure their bodies are healthy or whatever, but making sure that everybody is also taken care of mentally and emotionally. And so I think it matters. I like seeing instances in professional sports of those things becoming more of a priority and then seeing the impact that it can potentially have on players. And um, yeah, it was just cool. And that actually, uh, that makes me think back and kind of like, I want to apologize, sort of, about kind of poking fun at Marc-Andre Fleury for going to a sports psychologist. Oh, yeah. You know, like, we all kind of laugh about it a little bit, which, you know, it is it is kind of funny, but, you know, props to him. Yeah. That, yeah, if that's what you need, like, absolutely. If that's what that. you need, if you know that it's something, it's obviously not anything physical, um, and goalies especially, they're always talking about how it's a, it's a big men- mental thing. Like, a lot of goalies have their whole mental like preparation on game day so of course you know having a sports psychologist would help and it's actually funny when I was in in Sundance earlier this year one of the volunteers that I was volunteering with was a sports psychologist and she was actually going to Sochi to um, be with uh, a bunch of the U.S. Team USA like skiers I forget which 
particular part of the ski ski team that she helped but you know just kind of hearing her insights on how much that can help players of just like talking it out or kind of like realizing what it is that's holding them back was was pretty fascinating to to listen to so I'm glad that people are kind of taking note in sports same I think that's most of what we have to talk about I just to end it on a gameplay note I actually do want to talk a little bit about the playoffs in relation to other teams Basically to ask you, of the different games that you've watched or heard about or paid attention to, are there any teams right now that either look like playoff teams, people actually in the picture, who are either going to be a disaster to you in the playoffs or teams that may have surprised you in that you think they might be really tough? Um, I would say the Bruins because yeah. they have been looking dominant, um, as always, I suppose, and it's just another one of those things like last season against the Blues. They played a very physical game, and I'm sure the Kings versus the Bruins would be a very physical game and would take a lot out of them. So that seems like something that would be awful. Also, I don't know, they've they've done all right against the Stars, but I mean, I feel like the Stars can be kind of a wild card um, in that they do have a lot of like offensive output, and they're very fast, and so that could be kind of scary. I mean, I don't know how it is now with Tim Thomas in net but um that top line has been as we've talked about on this podcast before that top line has been awesome this season and things continue to overall just seem to go right for them so they could be a surprise i think in the playoffs i also agree that the bruins are in a lot of ways especially in the eastern conference the team to beat like i would not be surprised if they managed to make it back to the stanley cup final i wouldn't be surprised at all i actually thought last season that they were the best team in the league i know that seems kind of weird because of the great season that Chicago had, but I thought especially comparing those two teams and with a goaltender like Tugarask versus Corey Crawford, I thought that Boston was just the more complete team and they are playing just as strong this season. They could be scary for anybody that faces them. I will say actually that the team who could be a surprising mess actually are the Blackhawks because even though they have a nice record overall this season. Their divisional record this season is trash. <laughs> they are they went 4 and 1 in their regular season series against the Avalanche. They are currently I think 3 and 0 or 4 and 0. They've lost all the games that they played against the Blues this season. Um they are 3 and 1 against the Wild this season. They a series that they are winning is against the Stars, but that's kind of it. And it's not like the Stars, they're not in like the top three of their division. So the Blackhawks could be in trouble if they start the first round against a divisional opponent. And right now, it looks like they probably will. I want them to play the Blues because the Blues are currently 19-0-2 versus the Central Division. Wow. And Chicago is 9-11-3. Oh, man. Yeah, so it could be a surprisingly messy time for the Blackhawks in the first round if they face a divisional opponent. An exciting thing to watch because I think, obviously, the playoffs just makes everybody hustle more, so maybe they will come out on top. But I think I want them to face a divisional opponent so bad because I think it will be so exciting to see. I don't know if I, like, if they play the Blues, like, I think that'd be great just because of the rival the rivalry that they have there and the fact that I hope that the Blues will knock the Blackhawks off. 
<laughs> yeah. I would love to see that. That would be exciting. But also, after watching some Avalanche games, even though I'd never want, like, Semyon Varlamov to have anything nice this season, I would also still take watching the Avalanche beat the Blackhawks as well. We will mostly take anyone beating the Blackhawks, I think, at this point. <laughs> cool with it. But uh, I-, I think that's all we have. Those are our thoughts so far. We'll see how the next week changes anything, whether related to the Kings or other teams. Thank you everyone for listening and um thank the other i would like to thank the other blogs who have shown us a lot of support thanks to the jewels from the crown guys thanks to the royal half um thanks to carlin who has been really great yes. everybody's wonderful we'll love y'all um we're on itunes and stitcher if you're not already using either of those platforms to listen to us if you want to follow us on twitter assuming you're not already we are at thanks bud or individually i am at chanel berlin and i'm at aka diane fan and uh we're uh, always willing to talk about things that are silly or important yeah. regarding hockey and uh, we'll catch you next week take care of yourselves be good to each other bye friends bye all <laughs>